Welcome to Crossbridge Brickle's weekly podcast. Whether you are listening to us for the first time or revisiting a previously heard message, thank you for listening, and we hope that the time that you spend with us helps connect your life to the way of Jesus. Every week we gather in the south end of downtown Miami in the financial district of Brickle. If you're in Miami or coming to Miami to visit, make sure to join us Sunday nights at 5 o'clock at 1770 Brickle Avenue. Included with the podcast today, we want to provide online notes for you to follow along with the message through the Bible app, as well as our Spotify playlist to listen to our music played during our gathering on the weekends. All of this information is found in the description of this week's podcast. If you have any questions about Crossbridge, Jesus, or faith in general, we would love to hear from you, and the easiest way to connect with us is by emailing us at brickle at crossbridgemiami.com or send us a text to our text-in number at 305 305- Nine three zero seven zero zero six. Once again, thank you for tuning in. And now here's this week's message from Crossbridge Brickle. Thirty-eight. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, "Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place." And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? about himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him about the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for the joy and the fun that we are able to have in your presence, the gifts that you've given your people. And we thank you for your word that is true and convicting and challenging, but so good. We pray that we would see that tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we jump in tonight, I just want to... uh, one, ask you all to give uh, an encouraging round of applause again for Run 51, leading worship. That's awesome. I don't know if you guys know this, but, but Jason, uh, JB, who plays drums uh, most uh, Sundays here, uh, he is a part of Run 51. We've been talking about having them come and lead and, and uh, you know, gather with us in worship, and it finally came together, and so I was really excited 
and uh, because they're really awesome, and God has really uh, given them great talents and a great platform uh, to lead, and it's really a privilege for us to have them here with us this evening. So make sure you connect with them after the service. Check out. They have a lot of original music, and uh, support them. Uh, God's doing great things through that band. So this evening, I wanted to start off with a quote that I read this week that just stirred in my soul, and it's a quote by C.S. Lewis, and he says this, Christianity was very sensible apart from its Christianity. How many of you resonate with that? Or have? Christianity is very sensible. The message is very sensible. Jesus is very sensible. But Christianity, the church, the people, it's a different story. You see, I think the issue our culture has with Christianity is primarily not its message, but its people who don't live authentically in response to the message. It's how we live, how we respond. See, our behavior oftentimes doesn't match up with our beliefs. We believe in the message of Jesus. We believe in the example of Jesus. We believe in the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And then our behavior doesn't always match up with what we claim to believe. And so though Jesus and the message may be very sensible, the church and its people, not as much. Because religiosity is oppressive and it's off-putting. Many of us have experienced, I would say most of us have been around a church or a group of Christians or an individual Christian that comes across as judgmental, full of shame upon others and putting guilt on others and exclusive and do this, don't do that, performance-driven faith, and it is really off-putting and oppressive. Many people act as if the Christian faith is like running on a treadmill. You run on a treadmill and you try to keep up a consistent pace and you can fall and you can scrape up your knees and your elbows and you go flying off the back and you get back up, you dust yourself back off and you get back on the treadmill and keep running and you, you can do that. You can fall, you can pick yourself back up. However, you're running in a room of people that are also on the treadmill. They may not say anything, but they're looking at you and thinking, why does that person keep falling? Do they belong in here? Maybe they shouldn't be running on the treadmill. Maybe this isn't for them. That feeling of judgment and of, of guilt and a lot of people don't want to come in contact with the message of Christianity because they feel as if they're going to be judged and they're going to be heaped all this guilt and shame upon them or that it's exclusive and they're not able to belong while they work through their doubts and their issues. And so if that's you here tonight, and if you've arrived this evening because you took a bold step to come and hear the message of Jesus or you're checking us out online, I want you to know that this message is going to be challenging for the church, for Christians. You're going to see behind the curtain of what it looks like, the mission that Jesus has given us, and the charge for us to live authentically in response to that. Because when we look at the message of Jesus and Jesus himself, we see that Jesus is patient and he's merciful. But many Christians are not patient and merciful, especially if you disagree with him politically. Many Christians are not bold and loving like Jesus. They're bold and not loving or they're loving and not bold. Jesus was gracious. Many Christians are self-righteous and judgmental. Jesus was consistent and unashamed and many Christians change who they are and how they act depending on who they're around. Now, I know that's none of us. Of course not, right? <laughs> of course not. But see, what happens is we don't focus on the message. We don't have the message right. 
as we talked about last week. And so our behavior doesn't line up with our beliefs. But the message of Jesus is simple, is that you've been found by God through faith in Christ. You've been changed by God, and you've been sent by God. And you've been sent on a mission with a message of grace and mercy, and you're called to focus on people, wounds and all, brokenness and all, not with an air of spiritual superiority or religiosity or acting like you have it all together and you have to be the perfect example. No, wounds and all, you're sent on a mission to focus on people. And see, tonight, what the text tells us in Acts chapter 8 is what it looks like to focus on a person, to focus on people, to really take Jesus' mission seriously, which is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to go on Jesus' mission, to take his message rooted in your soul and actually authentically live in response to it, it looks like focusing on people. And this passage tonight shows us what that looks like. Give you a little bit of background here. This passage takes place after the resurrection and after the ascension of Jesus. So Jesus has died. He's been crucified. He's been buried. He's come forth alive, resurrected on the third day. He's appeared to the disciples and to many others. And then he ascends into heaven and he gives the apostles, the disciples, this charge to go start the church. Go on a mission. Bring the message. Focus on people. So the church begins to spread out of Jerusalem And here in Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip. Philip is an apostle who's in Jerusalem, and he is sharing the message of Jesus with people. And he's going to encounter an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch we have to know a little bit about in order for us to all be on the same page. The Ethiopian eunuch is from a country. Can you guess which one? Ethiopia. We're doing great. Man, we're really batting a thousand right now. He's from Ethiopia, and he has taken a pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem. Long journey. The text tells us that he goes to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this is automatically peculiar because Ethiopia at this time did not worship the God of the Bible. There was no association or belief in the God of Scripture. You see, Ethiopians believed that their king was the child of a sun god. He was a god, and the the king was so sacred and so holy that he could not be bogged down with any secular activities or responsibilities for the kingdom. He just stayed in the palace and stayed in the harem, and people worshipped him. And so the queen was the one who ruled the the kingdom. Can my lady say, oh yeah. (laughs) The queen ran everything. And her name is Candace. And this eunuch is her right-hand person. He's a high-ranking court official. says he's in charge of all of her treasure. Very important job. Very influential. Very powerful. And he's a eunuch, meaning he's been castrated. You see, the king would castrate all the court officials so that they would not pose a threat to the women in his harem. So he's castrated. He's one of the highest-ranking court officials in all of Ethiopia, and on his own dime, he takes this long, arduous journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. Now, he knows that when he gets there, it's not going to be fanfare. No amount of money that he has or influence will be able to change 
the religious system that he's going to encounter. He is going to be barred from the majority of religious activities. In fact, he probably will not be let even into the temple. And yet, as we'll see, he has a scroll from the Old Testament. He has the book of Isaiah. And at some point, he's come to believe that the king is not, in fact, a god. And that belief system is not true. And he's on a journey to discover truth. And so he goes to Jerusalem knowing because he's not Jewish and because he's a eunuch, he will be kept at a distance. But he takes this whole journey just to catch a glimpse of the temple where he believes the presence of God will be found. So we pick up the story and he's on the way back. He's heading home in his chariot. He's got a caravan with him. And as he heads back home, he encounters Philip. Now, Philip is in Jerusalem and he's given this simple prompting by God. He's working and he's meeting people and he's sharing the message of Jesus. Am I in a cloud? I feel like I'm in a cloud. Sorry. Hold on. I'm going to turn this off. (laughs) Just one second. All of a sudden I saw some of you and then I saw no one. (laughs) And I was like, could be the Holy Spirit, but then I realized, no, it's just a cloud in front of me. Uh, It was like really distracting. (laughs) So Philip is in Jerusalem. That's going to be great on the podcast. Philip is in Jerusalem, and he is following the mission of Jesus to bring the message of Jesus and focus on people. And God gives him this simple prompting. He says, go to the road heading south to Gaza, a desert road. Now, Philip had been thinking, why would I go there? Like, God, I'm on a mission now. The people are in Jerusalem. The church is growing in Jerusalem. Why would I go to this road where there's very few people, mostly just traitors? And yet he goes. This is something very instructive here. Tonight, we're going to get really practical. Are you down to get practical? Okay. So copious notes. We're going to get really practical. It's very instructive, this passage. See, God works oftentimes by giving you simple promptings to engage people. Don't overcomplicate it. Simple promptings, and they may make no sense to you. Things like this. Take a different route to work today. Don't wear your headphones when you're walking through the city. Say yes to that invitation. Invite those friends for drinks after work. Don't eat lunch at your desk. Go eat lunch with everybody else. Talk to that person in your gym. Engage that family at the park. Simple promptings that may make no sense. You think they're insignificant. And yet God will give you these promptings to create an opportunity for you to engage people. This is what it looks like to follow the mission of Jesus with a message and focus on people. To listen for and follow simple promptings. Philip's like, why would I go to the desert road? And yet he goes. Many of us here are familiar with a man who's one of the great scholars and theologians in the history of the church, and his name is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and the theological book, Mere Christianity, among many other books. Now, C.S. Lewis was not always a Christian. In fact, before he was a Christian, he was a staunch atheist. He was an intellectual, a professor at Harvard, and he said that he studied 
the atheist philosophers of Nietzsche and Hume and Voltaire and Bertrand Russell, and these were the influences upon his life, and he believed that life was meaningless. And then there was no God. There's no afterlife. Life is really just how whatever you make of it. It's about being a good citizen and doing what you want to do to feel good and to accomplish what you want because when you die, you die. It's over. There's nothing beyond. Now, while he's at Oxford as a professor, this staunch atheist, he encounters a man that will become one of his best friends. That man is J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, who is also a professor at Harvard. Now, Tolkien is a Christian. They become really good friends, and over the years, spend a lot of time together and discuss a lot of different things, and C.S. Lewis recounts this story where he's at a pub one night, he's having dinner with Tolkien and with another friend, and they continue the conversation into the evening, talking about normal things that we all talk about with our friends on Friday night, myth and metaphor and poetry and love and friendship, (laughs) and... They're so enthralled in this conversation that it gets to about 3 a.m. in the morning. Lewis recounts how at that time, a a large gust of wind came flying through the windows and blew leaves everywhere in the air. And he says, listen, this is ridiculous. I don't even close the windows here. Let's head out. Let's go back to my place and continue the conversation. So they leave the pub and they go back to his place. And here, when they get back, Tolkien inquires something of Lewis. He says, listen, I want to ask you something. Why do you think it is that you and me and so many others are moved by these ancient myths? Why are we moved by sacrifice? Why are stories like Bacchus and Balder of these dying and resurrecting gods so powerful and stirring in your soul? They discuss it. And then Tolkien asks this question of Lewis. He says, would you consider that the message of Jesus and the story of Jesus is actually a true myth that stirs our heart and our soul in a very similar way with a tremendous difference, and that is it actually happened. You see, Lewis knew that Tolkien believed in Jesus Christ, that he was a Christian, and he challenges him this night. And Lewis recounts and says that he learned a lot, and they finished the conversation talking about other things, But Lewis, for the next nine days, could not get this conversation out of his head. He gets on a motorcycle nine days later, and he's heading to the zoo. And he says this, I know very well when, but not how, the final step was taken. When we set out, I did not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we reached the zoo, I did. He gets on the motorcycle, an atheist, and he gets off the motorcycle, a Christian. has no idea how that happened. But this conversation was stirring in his head. And as he's driving, he comes to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And God changes his life. And many of us, all of us, are benefiting from the way that God has used him for the church. Isn't that interesting? How God moved in his life. See, there was a moment years before where there was a simple prompting given to Tolkien to engage this man who had a very different worldview from him. And they became great friends, best friends. And then that night, when that wind blew into that room and they changed the conversation from the pub to Lewis's house, I have to believe that God stirred in Tolkien's heart and told him, change the subject just so slightly and ask Lewis to consider whether or not 
the story of Jesus is a true myth that actually happened. And Tolkien does, and nine days later, Lewis comes to faith. You see, don't overcomplicate it. What it looks like to focus on people is to follow simple promptings from God, and then they will lead you to engage natural conversations of faith. Natural conversations of faith. Not forced. Natural. You see, Philip goes from, the desert, from Jerusalem to the desert road, and while he's there, he's probably wondering why I'm here, and then God gives him another prompting, and that prompting is, go over to that chariot, okay? Goes over to the chariot, and as he's walking to the chariot, he hears the man on the chariot reading something familiar. He's reading from the book of Isaiah. Now, Philip knows this chariot is not from Jerusalem. It's from a distant land. He can tell by all the decorations, on the chariot. He can just tell that it's not from here, but he hears this man reading this passage aloud. Because when you would read an ancient scroll, you'd have to read aloud in order to understand it. So he's reading it, and he comes up, and he asks a very natural question. And that is, do you understand what you're reading? So he follows the simple promptings of God, and then he engages this natural conversation by asking the Ethiopian eunuch, do you know what you're reading? It's a very natural conversation because Philip knows this man is not Jewish. So he would have never had a rabbi. He would have never been around the synagogue. He would have had no environment to teach him what this prophecy in Isaiah 53 is all about. He says, do you do understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, I mean, how can I? I've never had a guide. I've never had a rabbi. I've never been in an environment where anyone could help me understand this. I'm trying to understand it, but no one's ever guided me. The eunuch says, well, why don't you come up in the chariot and let's talk about it together. Simple promptings of God lead to natural conversations on faith. Natural, not forced. You see, it's not as if God is going to prompt you to spend time and engage in a conversation with someone and you guys are discussing whether or not people on the bird and the, and the Uber scooter should be in the street or the sidewalk because that's a debate, or just not at all. And then all of a sudden, as you're debating where the scooter should be, you say, what do you think about Jesus? Want to believe in Jesus? They're like, wait, what? We're talking about bird scooters, and you just like threw Jesus in here. Not force, not unnatural. Natural conversations on faith. Simple promptings lead you to that. And as he's prompted and he says, I, I need a guide. And Philip gets into the chariot with him and they begin to discuss. It gives Philip the opportunity to do the next thing, which is just to listen. Listen and then eventually respond boldly. So they get into the chariot together and the eunuch reads the passage that he doesn't understand. He says this, okay, it says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And Philip is listening. He's invited into the chariot, and the eunuch begins to read this passage, and Philip just listens. He doesn't get up in the chair and be like, okay, thank you for inviting me in. Time for a Bible study. Ready? Here we go. Let me give you the whole breakdown of what you need to know. He just listens. 
And because he listens, the eunuch then asks him a question. He says, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or someone else? Very natural. Hey, as I'm reading this, I, I can tell Isaiah is talking about someone. Is he talking about himself and his own suffering, or is he talking about someone else? It's so instructive. As Philip is listening, and he's asked this question, he now is given the opportunity to respond boldly. It says, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You see, when you take the mission of Jesus seriously, and you take the message of Jesus with you, and you focus on people, and you follow simple promptings that God gives you, and you engage natural conversations on faith, and you listen to people, not force, but listen you will be given an opportunity to respond. Maybe you're asked a question. Maybe there's a prompting to change the conversation so, ever so slightly like Tolkien does with Lewis to compare Jesus and ancient myths. But there will be a moment where you have the opportunity to open your mouth and to share. And when you have that opportunity to open your mouth and share... You're to share in the context of the conversation because context matters. Look what it says here. It says that beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Meaning, when the eunuch said, hey, who's this all about? Is this about Isaiah or is he talking about someone else? Philip does not jump into a memorized, rehearsed evangelism guide. He starts, in the, he says, well, let's start here. This is where your question is. Let me talk about this. Let's discuss this. Tolkien doesn't jump into some memorized, rehearsed God. He says, we've been talking about myth all night. Would you, what about, would you consider this? See, context matters. God prompts us to engage natural conversations on faith where we listen to people, and then we're prompted to open our mouth and within the context of the conversation, share the message that we believe, and to share it boldly. Share it boldly. This is where a lot of us get nervous. You may follow the promptings of God. You may engage conversations on faith in a natural way. You may do a good job of listening. And then when you're given the opportunity, whether you're asked a question or you change the conversation ever so slightly, you open your mouth and you speak about Jesus, but you leave behind boldness. Because there's a tension and a pressure that we feel to couch our language in socially acceptable terms. So maybe you say things like this. Well, I mean, let me answer that for you. Um, this is my truth. And, you know, you have your truth, but this is my truth. Or this is my opinion, and you can have your opinions. Or this is what I believe, but you can believe whatever else you want to believe. That's fine with, fine with me. We kind of massage it and make it a little bit more comfortable, and we leave boldness to the side. We present Jesus as if he is an option in a sea of options. Hey, here's the option that I chose. You can choose that option if you want, but if not, no worries. We leave boldness behind. 
But see, if you believe the message of Jesus, you do not believe that Jesus is an option or just your truth. You believe that he is the way, the what? Truth and the life. Not a way, a truth, and a life, but the way, the truth, and the life. So we leave boldness behind because we don't want to offend. We're afraid. If we really land on Jesus as a truth, what will happen in the context of the conversation? Yeah, that's what Philip does. He speaks boldly about Jesus and the good news of who he is as true in this context of the conversation. I like to imagine how he was sharing this. I have to think that Philip said, let's read that passage again. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And Philip says, this isn't about Isaiah. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. It's about Jesus. You've heard of him. The Romans crucified him not long ago. You see, it's saying that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And though he was innocent and he was unjustly tried, he kept his mouth silent. He didn't defend himself. He didn't try to get out because Jesus' mission, it culminated in a cross. And he willingly went to the cross to give his life away for you and for me and for our sin and our guilt and our shame. And I know that you traveled all this way from Ethiopia to get to the temple to just glimpse at it, to maybe have a taste of the presence of God. But see, Jesus has come to do away with any structure where God's presence is held through faith in Jesus and his death and his resurrection. You have access to the presence of God. It doesn't matter your class. It doesn't matter your race. We are equal footing at the cross. See, I know that Philip was bold in sharing the truth about Jesus, because right after he shares, it says this, then Philip, no, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, not Philip, he's not forcing anything, the eunuch said, see, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. See, in that moment, when Philip followed the simple promptings of God that made no sense to him why he would go to this desert road, God leads him to this Ethiopian eunuch. They have this natural conversation on faith, and Philip listens. He's given the opportunity to respond and to share the message of Jesus with boldness, and he presents it. And there in that moment, this man comes to faith in Jesus and is baptized. Could have never imagined that this would happen. You see, Tolkien could have never imagined that after that conversation that night at the pub, nine days later, his best friend would come to believe in Jesus while riding a motorcycle to the zoo. And when God leads you to focus on a person, and when you engage these natural conversations on faith, and you listen, and you share with boldness, You may have the honor and the privilege of seeing that person come to faith in that moment or nine days later or nine months later or nine years later. 
But that's on God. You see, God is on a mission to reconcile people to himself. God is on a mission to save. God is on a mission to rescue his people. It's not up to you to save people. God does not need you and me to defend him. He doesn't need you and me to make an appeal for other people to him. It says in 1 Thessalonians that God makes his appeal through us. He invites us to follow his promptings, to engage conversations on faith, to listen to people, and to respond with boldness so we can see God work through us to bring people to himself. What an honor. What a joy. What an adventure. You see, the Christian faith is not boring when you take Jesus' message at face value. When you really engage it. I had the privilege uh, several months ago to baptize one of my best friends. And four years ago, God prompted me to engage um, him in a friendship. And we become great friends. One of my best friends uh, today. And we had many conversations. There was a lot of listening And there was a lot of discussion on God and faith and meaning in life. You see, when we met, he didn't believe in God. He believed maybe in some kind of divine energy or or something, just not really sure. And as we walked together over the course of the years and just spent time together and had a blast together doing different things in the city and then having some really great conversations on faith as well, he knew when he asked me a question and we talked about Christianity, that I would respond with boldness, that I wouldn't hesitate, that I wouldn't be ashamed because I believe this message is true. But he also knew that I would respect him and that I loved him and that even if he disagreed with me, we'd still be best friends. You see, when you bring boldness, you don't forsake love. Conviction is attractive because it's rare. People change their convictions all the time. And God calls us to be bold and to have a conviction that this is true. We have conviction about everything else. We argue of what the best Netflix show is. We argue about what the best website is to get clothes at a discount price. Which scooter goes faster even though they all go the same speed. (laughs) We have conviction about so many things that we argue about and then we shrink back on the one thing that is actually true. But when we lean in and when we're not hesitant and we're not ashamed but we treat people with respect and patience and love, we get to see God work through us. You see, five months ago, I got a call that took my breath away. My friend called me and he said, Carter, I don't know how to explain this but I just met God on the kitchen floor. I was doing the dishes, I wasn't a Christian, and I got done doing the dishes, and I'm a Christian. And will you baptize me? Incredible. This is on God. He worked through me, and it's an adventure, and a privilege, and an honor. And this is what it looks like to live authentic. It is exciting, and my challenge to you, and my encouragement to you, is live authentic in response to the message. Take the mission of Jesus seriously. Take a step of faith. Be bold. Follow God's promptings. Engage conversations on faith. Listen to people. Don't shrink back. Ask God to use you because there's no greater honor, there's no greater joy than seeing God work through you to change someone else's life. My prayer is this year that we would celebrate a lot of that as a church.
Will you pray with me? God, we want to trust that you have great things in store for this city. Lord, we know that there are many people that are looking all over the place for answers, for questions, for discernment, for understanding of how to make sense of life. And we ask, God, that you would stir in us an excitement to engage your mission, to bring your message and to focus on people. Would we listen and be sensitive to those promptings? Would we engage conversations on faith naturally, not forced? God, would we listen? Would we learn to be a good listener? And would we be bold? God, give us strength to be bold and loving. We ask, God, that you would stir in us this desire that you would move in us this way. And we pray, God, that we would see your grace and your mercy in many changed lives in this city this year. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.